You're listening to Drek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. I am so excited to be here tonight. We are going to do a first for the 602 Club. We've never touched the X-Men franchise and we had a brand new movie come out this last weekend as we're recording this and it gave us a perfect opportunity to be able to dive into a whole new franchise and I'm so excited when that happens here on the 602 Club. Uh, Before we get right into that, I want to remind everyone, of course, that you can find the 602 Club on Trek FM. You can find all of our shows at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. You can also send us an email. Uh, Go to Trek.FM slash contact. That's our website, Trek.FM, and then add slash contact to that. Choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and that'll come straight to us. You can leave us a voicemail. I love getting voicemail from listeners. I'd love to hear what you thought of X-Men Apocalypse. So go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and I'll get that and you may hear yourself on the show. So uh, you can also go to our listeners only discussion group, which is the Babel Conference. Type Babel into the search field on Facebook. Or again, you can go to the website at trek.fm and click discussion on any of the menu bars uh, that you'll see on any of the show pages. So be sure to check us out in all those places And if I didn't mention, because I can't remember right now, I'm so excited about talking about X-Men, you can find us on Twitter, at TrekFM. Another quick note, if you're over on iTunes, where you can find all of our shows, we're a feature provider, hit us up with a quick star rating and review, that really helps us out greatly, so really appreciate everyone who's done that so far, but uh, it does help the show grow, so give us that star rating and review, and I'll definitely, of course, no matter what it is, you'll get mentioned on the show as well. Well, I needed somebody who hasn't been here in, let's say, a dragon's age, and I'm so (laughs) excited to have her back to the show. Suzanne, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be back. Um, Just waiting on my drink from Ruby. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's it's pretty busy in here tonight. I think everybody was excited about X-Men, knew that we were going to talk about it, and... um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, it was funny because I was looking back at shows and I realized that you hadn't been back since we talked about Dragonheart all of those eons ago, it feels like, at this point. That was forever ago. Ugh. Yeah. Such a good movie, though. Because, and I, it, what reminded me of it is that we were talking about Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban last week and David Thewlis, who is, you know, the main mm-hmm. evil king and Dragonheart was in that. And I was like, I was reminiscing. I was like, ah, oh, good times, good times. Well, we're not here to talk about that. We are here to dive into the X franchise. And since we've never covered this at all on the 602 Club, I kind of wanted to know what your history with the franchise was. Did you get into the comics at all? Or really was it the movies that got you interested? And then what kind of were your favorites over the 16 years that we've been getting films? What got me started with X-Men was actually the Uncanny X-Men Saturday morning cartoon. Yes, nice. Grew up watching that and then segued into the Sega Genesis games and just spiraled from there, read some of the comics. Once the movie started coming out, you couldn't keep me away from the theater, especially since um, Patrick Stewart was Professor X. Had to go see it. Had to. (laughs) Yeah. It was like hitting two fandoms at once. It was like Picard being back almost. It was the perfect storm. Yeah, I like that. The perfect storm. Um, no, I, I completely agree with you there. Now, you said you read some of the comics. Were there any of them that stood out for you that you really liked that you'd say to somebody who maybe hasn't read any comics? I think if you like X-Men, these might be good. I really like the X-Force comics with Cable and Domino and Bishop set in the future. It just brought a different um, aspect to... What I grew up with, with um, Beast and, and Wolverine, mm-hmm. it showed you what was going to happen later because of their actions in that time. Cool. That's so awesome. Just, just futuristic. Well, and it, it's funny for me because, you know, I 
you know, I've actually, and people will probably be like, really? I actually haven't gotten around to reading any X-Men comics yet. Um, I've been slowly working my I way. I am shocked. The, yeah, lots of different <laughs> comics. You know, I, I, I've been slowly trying to pick up some more Marvel things. Uh, I had a really heavy DC reading schedule for myself this year. I read a lot of their big events. So I, I'm hoping to kind of go back and read some of those for the different franchises, whether it be Marvel or DC. And um, for me, finding the X-Men was in 2000 when, you know, X-Men the movie came out. And, mm -hmm. you know, in a lot of ways, that movie just altered sci-fi superhero epics on a really grand scale because, you know, X-Men took itself very seriously. You know, it, it didn't have the X-Men in the normal costumes. You know, it was kind of that time period where they thought people didn't really oh, yeah. see that and everything. But it brought a whole new sense of being, I think, to the, uh, the superhero genre. And I think it really revitalized it. So in a lot of ways, X-Men led to everything that I think we got have gotten after everything that. that's happening and, now yeah. yes mm -hmm. exactly and you know i i really have enjoyed the series for the most part i mean we have been going for like i said 16 years um you know we've got oh goodness one two three four five six seven eight nine nine films in the x series uh i'm i'm considering deadpool as a part of that as well as the mm -hmm. wolverine films that we've done i have to be the only person that likes wolverine origins don't know why I like X-Men Origins Wolverine. It was it was really good. Even with the crappy Deadpool at the end, it was really good. See, and that's I think that's great. You know, I, I, that's one of the things, you know, here on the show. You know, we don't want to trash what people like. And I think the fact that it struck a chord with you is fantastic because there's always movies like that. Somebody likes, and that's all that matters. You know, if you like it, that's really all that matters. And, and so I, have, I, I think that's incredible to me. I, I love when people like things that aren't normally liked. Because, hey, I liked Batman v Superman, and a lot of people didn't like that. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean... <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I What I've loved is this franchise. And I think for me, you know, what kept me going all these years is that I really enjoyed the characters that they had in the interplay. Uh, they got great actors, uh, both casts. Mm -hmm. I mean... You know, oh, from yeah. the older cast to the younger cast now. So, yeah, they just keep lining up A-list people oh, yeah. to be a part of it. It's it, it's it's like people are waiting in line. Can I be in it now, please? My turn. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I th I think that's kind of the case. I was watching the extras on the Days of Future Past Blu-ray that I have. I have the road cut, and I hadn't seen any of the extras. And Brian Singer was talking about that. He said, "You know, I executive produce and I helped cast." first class but i didn't direct it so i didn't really get to work with these actors so he was really excited for that film to be able to work with them this mm -hmm. younger generation and that's something that was really cool about what they did in that film is that they brought in a new generation and they they really set up something that we hadn't seen which is how does this get built and that leads us in this film to some some new mutants now We've seen mm -hmm. them before, but we've seen their older versions. And so kind of wanted to ask you, um, you know, we have a new Storm, a new Jean Grey, a new Cyclops, and a new Nightcrawler, uh, and a different Angel, Archangel. Uh, yeah, first, mm -hmm. I mean, just let's go through. Uh, what did you think about the kid playing Scott Summers? He was good. I could actually see him growing into James Marston and just yeah. just the facial structure, everything. I enjoyed him. He wasn't my favorite. <laughs> no, I don't think he was He was my favorite of the new kids either. I think he has a lot of room to grow. And one of the best parts, I think, is that they're not the main focus of the film. You know, they're just part of it. And so mm -hmm. you're not asking him to carry the entire movie. And I think that's good. Um, I was yeah. actually really sad to lose his brother, Havoc. Uh, in the film. Yeah. I couldn't believe they killed him off. I was like, whoa, no, no, no. That's not supposed to happen. Ah, uh, Because I really like him. I thought he was fantastic. And so, yeah, to lose oh, yeah. him was pretty shocking. So, yes, 
Scott was, I think, I think the actor was good. Ty uh, Sheridan is, is is not bad. I think that he definitely has a lot of room to grow, and I think they were they're really smart in this sense. All of these actors are very young, and you can tell they're mm-hmm. young, so they yeah. have plenty of movies to get out of them if they want to continue in this direction. Which I mean, I know they've already talked about maybe going to the '90s next, and they'd be nuts not to. I, I think so too. So. <laughs> Sophie Turner plays Jean Grey, and I, for me, she was the character I felt like needed to work the most out of all of them. Mm-hmm. Jean's never been one of my favorite characters until she becomes Dark Phoenix, and then she's just, that character is phenomenal. She's just all, Jean's always just been sort of, eh, I could take her or leave her. Even though she's one of the stronger mutants, she's just, meh. You know, that's really interesting that you say that because, you know, for me, I'm on the different side where I don't know the comics. And so what I know is is Jean Grey from the films. And for me, what was really interesting about this movie is that I almost feel like the Jean Grey story works better in a younger character just because it makes more sense to kind of have almost like a teenage character still struggling with who she is, what her powers are, you know. Um, oh yeah. In you know, in the film, I remember thinking, you know, Famke Jensen is older, and she still kind of doesn't have this figured out. That's <laughs> kind of strange. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Stunted mental growth. That's that's what that was. Yeah, and she has serious mental powers, so it was very odd. I mean. <laughs> You know, it wasn't even like Logan where he had had his mind wiped or something. You know, the poor guy. Uh, th- that I, I blame Cy- Cyclops. I blame him. Yeah, there you go. It's all his fault. Uh, took her mind off things yes, for yes, a while. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but I yeah, I liked Sophie Turner. And I'm, I'm, what I'm excited is that if they go toward, and I know the actress has already said she would love to do the Dark Phoenix storyline. And, of course, we all know the abomination that, uh, you know, uh, X-Men 3 was. We're not going to talk about no. it. No. That Shh. movie which shall not be named. <laughs> no. Oh, gosh. But, um, so, yeah, I, I liked her. And then, uh, to me, the really surprising character was, and I think actress that shined and needed more time was Alexandra Ship as Storm. Oh, definitely. She was phenomenal. I wanted more of that character. I wanted more of her backstory. Anything that they could give, I wanted. She had just such presence on screen. You could see the power right behind her eyes, just waiting to come out. And yeah, I wanted so much more from her. Well, and and one of the fascinating things I think about her as well is that she isn't like the other mutants. You know, she comes from a t- completely different background. You know, this isn't somebody who comes from a middle-class family in America. Uh, you know, she's somebody on the other side of the world, living as an orphan, trying to make her way. And I, I, I like that. And I'm really hoping that that is a storyline and, and she just gets more time to play in the next film. Oh, I hope so. I do think the next film, too, is going to be more about these kids and them becoming that. I mean, like the end of the movie, you know, it was all about them training to become the X-Men, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think it's really going to revolve around them and their stories. And I think you know, she's one of the stronger characters that they, they cast. And uh, Alexander Ship had a wonderful little intro before the film when I saw it twice. Each time that they had it on her just saying, hey, I want to say thank you. Uh, for coming to the film, you know, it takes a lot of people to make these and we appreciate you coming and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have that accent that she does in the film. So well done her. I know. Such talent, such talent. Yeah, it was people who can do that. I, You know, I love to play with accents and stuff, but I just people that can do it so well is fantastic. In fact, so I'm watching the extras. James McAvoy, he has a really strong, very strong Scottish accent. So the fact that he tones that down to what he does, again, I just, it's, these people are great. So I, I really, I really like them. Yeah, accents are just difficult. So difficult. Yeah. Maybe that's why we as Americans find them so attractive. It could be. Yeah. Because hmm. we be. just seen our nice just Scottish so accent, lame. Australian accent, New Zealand. I, I mean, anywhere but Canada. 
Oh, I'm just kidding, Canada. We love you. Okay, uh, <laughs> before I get myself into more trouble, uh, we had a brand new Nightcrawler with Cody Smith McPhee, and I wanted to know what you thought about him. He was my favorite, hands down, oh, my really? favorite. I could see him growing into the Alan Cumming character. Mm-hmm. Mannerisms, everything. He just had it down pat. And his comedic timing was pretty good, even though he wasn't trying to be funny. He was really funny. Yes, that was the best part is that he's not actually, I mean, he's not Quicksilver where he's trying to be funny. He's just being Mm -hmm. him. And that actually is funny. Like when he's taking the picture. He's just being Kurt. Yeah, he's taking the picture. He has a huge (laughs) smile on his face. It's just awesome. (laughs) I loved it. I loved it. Um, Yeah, I think. Oh, yeah. He is just a fantastic little actor. I mean, uh, he was one of the standouts for me in this this new class. And I, I think he really uh, has a lot to offer the team. Uh, I think that kind of vivacious attitude that he brings along mm-hmm. with somebody like Quicksilver is going to be something that's going to be fun to watch and wherever they go next. Because, oh, yeah. um, you know, it, that's the kind of person who always brings the team up instead of down. And you need those characters on a team like this. So really like it. Especially him. when they're adolescents. Oh, yeah. Because they're going to have the, everything against them. Ah, In the entire turmoil. world is against they me. Need the, the one guy to make everything. Yeah, they, yes. They need that one guy. Well, uh, we, we don't get a ton of him, and I was kind of a, a little bit disappointed, but Ben Hardy plays yeah. Angel, Archangel. And, um, I mean, he looks cool. Yeah. To me, he was just for, forgettable. He didn't he didn't do much on screen, other than the the cage fighting. I found that entertaining with him. You could have filled it, put in any other horseman in his place, and it would have been fine. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. I think that cage fight was the thing that was the best part with him. Uh, part of it mm-hmm. too is that those wings look so good. Yeah, yeah. Before they became all metal, that just it lost something yeah i mean uh, you know when his claw and his wings scratches the ground to mark you know how many wins he's had and mm-hmm. everything that was wonderful but unfortunately the character gets absolutely no development <laughs> and so when yeah. apocalypse says later on in the film you know disappointing uh, about mm-hmm. him i'm like well yeah you didn't really give him much yeah. to do so <laughs> he didn't have enough lines man he did not but somebody who was obviously played up very big in the film, at least in the promo materials, is Olivia Munn playing Psylocke. And so I wanted, yeah, yeah I wanted to know because I, obviously she's all over the promo materials and everything. I mean, Olivia looks great in the costume. But mm-hmm. what did you end up thinking about what they actually did with the character? Well, actually, Psylocke was my husband's favorite character in the movie, mainly because of her costume, is what I'm guessing why, you know. But. <laughs> I was disappointed. I wanted more of Betsy Braddock's story because she was w- always one of my favorite characters in um, the cartoons, and then I would always play her in X-Men 2 on the Sega Genesis. I, she, got, she got the shaft. There was like nothing, no story. A lot was made of the fact that she said she passed up Deadpool's girlfriend to play Psylocke. And I mm-hmm. still think she got the better end of the deal, personally. Because at least she got to keep her clothes on. So <laughs> that That is very true. Yeah. Not, not much clothing. Well, I... I but mean, it's still yeah, there. I mean, it was, you know, it's like a mom bathing suit these days. That's kind of what her costume reminded me of. Because um, it looks very much like a mom <laughs> bathing suit. Anyway, I, I apologize, Olivia Munn. That's mean. I don't mean it mean. <laughs> I'm just saying that you got to have more clothes on than you would have if you'd been in Deadpool. So... Um, I'm with you. I wanted her to have, she didn't quite come down to like Captain Phasma territory where we built up this character, this huge female character, and then she was totally disappointing. Mm -hmm. But she's the one thing in the movie that I feel like they're, they put in so they can use her later instead of really wanting to have her be a full fledged character now. That's what I'm hoping that they did with Jubilee. Yeah, because you see Jubilee for maybe <laughs> useless in the three film. minutes. It's like I got so excited. I was like, "Yes, Jubilee! Where'd she go?" Yeah, all what she did happened? was was go on a mall date with everybody and see uh, go Return of the Jedi. Yeah, 
Um, let's go to the mall today. <laughs> um, yeah, which that's how you do it, a Star Wars joke in a movie. That joke was really funny because it, it slammed Star Wars <laughs> a tiny bit, but really it was slamming X-Men 3. So when she's oh, like, yeah. we can oh, all yeah. agree the third one's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was awesome. We're not supposed to talk about it. Well, and what was funny about that whole conversation is that, you know, Brian Singer grew up in the 80s. He's the child of the 80s. And the conversation that Summers and Jubilee are having about whether, you know, um, <laughs> Empire was better or Star Wars was better, the original, was this, the same argument that people would have back then. You know, he's talking about how, you know, you, you have to have the original to have any of the others. And she's saying, but this one's deeper and more complex it's basically the same question is godfather 2 better than the original godfather you know so yeah i thought uh <laughs> that that was a really funny conversation <laughs> between them <laughs> so <laughs> um i i he's not new but we do need to talk about it because we'd be remiss the quicksilver scene what did you think in this film actually the dog stole the scene from him in my mind. <laughs> that was awesome. Animals and kids will always do that to you. Don't work with them. But yeah, Evan Peters has way too much fun with this character. I mean, he's really embracing it, really embracing it, and just always brings a smile to my face when I see him. The scene is very reminiscent of, of what they do in Days of Future Past, and yet <laughs> it's different enough to make it so fun and yeah he just like you said he sells you on the scene so even if it is a little bit similar it's still you're just having so much fun watching what he's doing and all the little things that he does like when he goes back for the tab and drinks it it's it's fantastic (laughs) 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 one because i would tell him don't drink that that's disgusting exactly yeah, I don't know who goes back for tab, but you know, uh, people did weird things in the eighties. Just look at some of the clothing choices. So, yes, they did. Yes, they did. Oh, the hair skyscraper bangs. That's true. And you know, what was disappointing is there wasn't enough skyscraper bangs in here, like the kind of bangs where you thought somebody put a whole thing of Aquanet in the toilet and then flushed their bangs into the toilet so that they just stood kind of like straight up and had a weird twist at the end because that's what girls' bangs used to look like in the 80s, folks. Yes. One of the interesting things that this movie does, and I really liked it for this, is that it rounds out the trilogy of First Class, Days of Future Past, and Now We Have Apocalypse, and and that's what they were really going for. They wanted to kind of round and complete that out and especially for the arcs I thought of Charles and Eric, I just I thought it was so cool the way that they bring these characters full circle and they tell uh, a really, I think, compelling story, especially about them when you look back mm-hmm. at what they've been building. And, and this film, to me, caps that off so well. Yeah, seeing their friendship still survive after everything that they've been through it says a lot about those two characters, even with Eric just being almost completely broken when his family is ripped away from him. Yet he can still find the good inside of himself that Charles reminds him of and come back from that. And you know what's really funny <laughs> is that it's very Return of the Jedi-like in the sense that Charles keeps telling Eric, I know there's still good in you. I felt it. And in the end, it is Ah. the thought of Charles and the fact that he still has family, people to fight for that lead him back. You know, I thought that that's a, Mm -hmm. it's a really cool arc that you're using with those characters because, you know, at the same time, Charles has had a really interesting arc in that, you know, he's gone from the optimist, the big full on Mm -hmm. optimist in the first film to being the super pessimist in the second film and having to kind of relearn. Basically, he's had the Luke Skywalker role. You know, he's had to unlearn what he has learned in the, in the second film. And then by the third film, he really is the guy who's just out there saying, 
no, we can do this. We will make a difference and we can do it mm-hmm. together. And I just thought about that. There's a lot of Star Wars parallels in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I'd never thought of that. Well, and and I like that you brought up too the fact that Eric with his family, because I really, that's the scene I think in the film that for me is just the most heartbreaking and the hardest to watch. It was. It was completely heart-wrenching. I cried. And I usually don't cry in movies, but I was like, oh, man, he was happy. He was just living his life. And he was happy. And thanks, people. Just take it all away. And it was so beautiful because he, in the sense that he had been able to go from days of future past, and instead of continuing to be somebody who was fighting all the time. He just went Mm -hmm. and became a simple man, lived a simple life. He met somebody who he told the truth to the first night they met. Um, He had a family, and his whole goal in life seemed to be fly under the radar, raise my family, love them, Mm -hmm. and, you know, mutants, they don't really apparently die. Um Unless they're, you know, like utterly <laughs> mutilated or killed or blown apart or vaporized. they just yeah, vaporized um, with this, you know, the kill setting on a phaser or something. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought that that was so wonderful to see that character move to that point. And the way that I think Fazbender plays it sells you on the fact that this guy, this is all he wants. And the moment that's taken yeah. away. And all he has left is the anger and rage, which mm-hmm. he had before. It was such a great thing because, you know, he's then left with that huge meta question, which he shouts to the heavens of, is this all I am? Is this all I can be? And again, a kind of very Anakin Vader type question. Like, I guess this is all I am. You know, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm just locked in the suit. And this is all I can do. I, I don't have any choices anymore. Well, with all these Star Wars parallels, I'm trying to figure out now who's Jabba the Hutt. Hmm. Oh, probably that guy in the... Uh, I mean, he's real skinny and very pasty. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he was doing all, giving everybody the passports. That seems like he's kind of the Jabba. <laughs> Bring me Solo and the Wookiee. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> he could have done it. He had a really creepy voice. So, <laughs> no, I, I, th- I, I thought it was really interesting about where you know these two titans end up. You know, th- these are two ex titans, and mm-hmm. Charles ends up clearly the professor. Like he is finally fully professor x he's shaved he's bald. finally bald he's newly bald yes. <laughs> yeah i mean gotta say uh not everybody can pull off bald but you know he does it so well uh you know in a few years he'll be looking just like patrick stewart so then they can redo <gasps> star trek the next oh, generation with him as the captain <laughs> yeah wouldn't that work that would work for me yeah yeah i'd, watch I'd it. totally buy it uh yeah <laughs> and then patrick stewart could come in and play his father there you go, man. We are. Uh, we need to. We need to start. I need to write Kirsten Beyer, and uh, since she's writing yeah, for Brian the new Star Fuller, Trek show, let her know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then it was kind of cool to have you know Eric end the film at a place where he he's still never going to see completely eye to eye with Charles, mm-hmm. but he's also seems to have come to a place of some kind of peace and. I really do hope that, you know, as we continue on the films, that we don't return to Magneto being the bad guy. No, that that would just ruin everything. Yeah, the ambiguous character, but that he'll come in in the ultimate hour of need. So I, mm-hmm. I would rather see that at this point. That, and I want to see Quicksilver tell him the truth. Yeah. Come on. Yes. Spit it out, dude. Why do you think he doesn't? Because that's a good question. You know, do you think he's just afraid to tell him or do you feel like... I think it's fear. It is definite fear. I'm going to tell him this and then he won't care or he won't accept me. Well, and I guess, you know, when your dad leaves before you're even born, you probably do feel like he doesn't care at all. Well, he probably didn't know. 
that's true. He may he may not have known, but you know, it doesn't really necessarily seem like Quicksilver has a lot of answers. Yeah. In that area in the first place. So, you know, just as a kid, you know, I growing up, I you think all sorts of weird things are your fault or something like that that have nothing to do with you, but you still blame oh, yourself. I still do that. Yeah, exactly. I still do yeah. That. <laughs> it's still a problem that we have. So <laughs> we have this really interesting thing in the film. And obviously it, it kind of it gets kicked off with this idea of Scott, uh, you know, discovering these powers. And the idea, are they a blessing or are they a curse? And I thought that that was a really interesting question because I think there are are people even in this world today, they're not mutants, but Mm -hmm. they have a gift which they don't necessarily know how to use or makes them feel kind of weird with other people or, you know, they just don't find who they connect with or, you know, the idea of blessings or curses and, and, Really, it's how you look at it and how you use it. But I love that this film kind of brought that to the forefront because I think that's one of the biggest questions that, you know, the X-Men can raise for us in the real world. Mm -hmm. But I think at one point, they've each mutant has seen their gift as both a blessing and a curse. Charles says it numerous times throughout the different movies. Yeah, this, this is what I have to deal with. This is, it's good, but I here let me share with you this this is painful and even um mystique yes she can transform into anyone that she's touched but she can never truly be herself because she has the hardest time accepting herself for who she is so for each one of them it's both a blessing and a curse Mm. when i think about it too in a lot of ways sometimes in life the things that are our greatest gifts can also be sometimes our greatest curses, you know, and, and, and specifically how we deal with them, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, somebody being really good at music or writing or something like that, you know, it can feel like the greatest gift in one moment and the greatest curse in the next, you know, uh, you think about all those tortured artists who, mm-hmm. you know, like say a Van Gogh or something, or I think about a musical artist that's so driven that just wants to create something better than he did last time. Or she did last time, and they can't like find Prince. the way to do it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I wish I kind of had some of those problems, but yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have those problems. I, I'd like to take them for a test yeah, drive. Yeah, I'll take it for a test drive <laughs> just to see what it's I'll like. I'll let you know if I'll keep it. Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing I thought was really interesting is the movie really dives deep into this, this idea of, you know, what do you do with your gift? You know, yeah. I, I mean... Do you use it selfishly like a Magneto has or Apocalypse Mm -hmm. does? Or do you use it like Charles and see it as our gifts are meant to be shared to help others? We help those who have no power or those who are weak and, and to better ourselves. Like I thought that was a great question because the movie puts us on two polar opposite sides of Charles Mm -hmm. and Apocalypse. One uses yeah, his power to help people. Evil. Yeah, exactly. And the other one sees that, well, I have the power and that gives me the right to rule. Basically, it makes me a yeah. god. Well, he has all those people bowing to him. So, you know, they kind of help that along. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, when you can make things out of other things, you know, sand? and basically just <laughs> make things out of sand <laughs> and, or turn some type of matter into another type. Yeah, I guess people kind of Cut think Cut people's of you. heads off with sand. Yeah, you start to think of peop- yourself as a god. And that yeah. was, uh, to me, that was a really interesting thing. The the whole I god talk in the film. I thought it, it mm-hmm. because the more power you have, the more that you do think that you're in control. And Apocalypse was really proving the axiom of, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yes. And that he should be the one to to be in charge because he's the most powerful. I thought it was interesting, though, when, in, you know, if he sat down and critically thought about himself, he's <laughs> only powerful because he keeps stealing other people's powers. He's it's a not, thief. Yeah, exactly. He's just a common thief in the end. 
And if he, you know, started out in Egypt, they should, you know, do what they do to thieves to him. So would they start with his hands or his head? That's a chopping something off. Well, they tried. They definitely tried. Uh, Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. that did not work. Yeah. Who, Who was the architect for that pyramid? Because that just blew my mind. You can hit like two bricks and the whole thing starts coming in. It was, so whoever it was drew up the impressive. plans on that. You know, it's funny. I, I know from a little bit of study of, of Egyptian archaeology that, you know, they had the tombs set up so they could be sealed in a way like that. But yes, it's almost as if somebody had put into the architecture the ability to destroy it by just, yeah, two blocks. And <laughs> I was like, really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Bad well done architect. that they figured Bad. out how to do it. So way to go, guys. You know, you <laughs> you saved at least the Egyptian world at that point. And, you know, you also led to the fact that uh, we didn't have apocalypse round for a very long time. So well done uh, on their part. <laughs> it was also really interesting with all the God talk, apocalypse's promise to the mutants is the same promise that Satan makes to Eve and Adam in the garden. That if you follow me, we can let go of all the rules that you've had placed on you, and you can be gods. And you see how well that worked for them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, (laughs) it's the same lie over and over again, but it's still not working for anyone. So No. (laughs) Stop listening, people. Just stop. I Yeah, I thought that that was really fascinating that, you know, it, all of these things together, it just, it made for, I thought, a really deep and, and really well done film. And it, because to me, any movie that I come out of and I'm, I'm still kind of thinking through and processing in my brain a mm-hmm. few days later is a movie that I, to me is worth seeing. And so I really liked oh, yeah. that, that that happened. And, and, and I, for the most part, you know, I would, don't really think there was anything to think about in Deadpool. Um, but for the most part, the X-Men films have, have been, that's been a hallmark of them, you know, and they draw that from the comics. They've always had a, mm-hmm. a large sense of social commentary and other things that go along with them. So I really like that. And I feel like Brian Singer has continued to do that in the films. Uh, and, oh, you know, Matthew Vaughn and has done his, so... I have a question because this was interesting. The idea of like being a hero. And I asked that kind of a question because Raven, uh, mm-hmm. I, I really see her as kind of being the backbone of this story. She she really has a huge arc and it, it's really incredible because it's all the way from first class through here apocalypse. She has come a long way and What's so interesting is that everybody else in the movie but her sees her in a heroic light. Yeah. Well, true heroes never really see themselves as heroes. Yeah. No, that's that's really true. And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm thinking through that. And, And the whole idea is that, you know, because for her, everybody keeps pointing back to what she did in D.C., mm-hmm. you know, and... When you think about it, you know, the, this idea of it really is only our actions that, that people can define us by. And oh, so, yeah. you know, those kids, what they see and what they saw and what they've seen replayed on TV is her doing something selfless and heroic by interposing herself between, you know, uh, Magneto and the president of the United States. And making that choice to side with basically humanity and and and, and the rest of mutant kind, uh, and I think yeah. that's that's a really powerful thing to see. That you know you don't even it's not even about trying to be a hero. It's just about doing what's right. Yeah, she just went with what was in her heart at that point, and that's why she didn't even see it as being heroic. She just did what she felt she had to do. And part of that too had to, I mean, it comes from her relationships, you know, Uh, I think the big part of that came from 
Charles stop, mm-hmm. you know, stopping trying to control her and, and give her the choice, you know, to make the right yeah. choice, you know, almost in the way that a parent lets child go and lets them make that choice. But I thought that was really interesting. And I think it also raised a great question of how does the next generation, how are they going to see us, you know, um, and how are they going to see the past, the legacy and what we leave behind to them? And what are we going to pass on to them? You know, because that's a, that's a big thing. You know, apocalypse is saying you're fallen, you're following blind leaders and they're, they're destroying everything. Let me show you the right way. Um, by destroying everyone I don't like, so we just get to the people I do like. Uh, basically, the ones are going to fall me. Until he doesn't like them anymore. Exactly. Exactly. And then you have Charles on the other side saying, no, we have to teach them a better way. And so what is it that we pass on? And, you know, Magneto's been the same way. Do we pass on our hate and prejudices, or do we find a way to see where we have common ground. And I, I think that's, this movie has a lot to say to all of us, you know, even in like, yeah, it does, you know, fan culture. Yes. Don't hate on other people's fandoms, people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like you, you like Wolverine's origins. That's great. There's no reason for me to be like bash you and like tell you why you shouldn't like it. <laughs> Go enjoy it. That's fantastic. I know why I shouldn't like it. <laughs> but it, you know, that I think that's that's the thing, you know, do do we allow new generations even to come in and enjoy their uh, joy fandom for what they're going to find, you know? Mm-hmm. I think Star Wars is the biggest example. People trashing the prequels, you know, and then people coming to mm-hmm. those and not wanting to watch them or having a preconceived notion of what they are. Instead of letting somebody make up their own mind. And I think, you know, I love it. I love that we have the opportunity to see so many different layers in a film. And it, I, I think it comes from an incredible arc that we have a character with Raven, who we've been watching, you know, from first class, who chose to join the dark side, basically. Um, yeah. In the middle, you know, she chooses to be on her own because she doesn't know where she fits in. And by the end, she finds her way to hero. You know, she's joined the X-Men, which I don't know about you, but every time I watched the old films, I was like, Mystique was so cool. Why can't she be a good guy? (laughs) I did love the outfit that um, they had Mystique in at the end. It was, to me, it was a call to um, her comic outfit, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is gorgeous white dress as soon as i saw that i was like it's the dress and then she's wearing pants i'm like oh well it's half of the dress (laughs) so i'm okay with that the dress she'll wear for like um you know functions you know like diplomatic (laughs) functions things like that or or parents night at the school yeah exactly this is more (laughs) like she had on the ass kicking outfit you know uh so (laughs) which i have to say i loved at the very end of the film when they're going into the training session and they're going to be training at Sentinels. That was kind of mm-hmm. cool. That uh, was really cool. And then those characters are wearing much more kind of the classic uniforms. Yes. You know, with all those great hallmarks. So I thought that was a really nice touch because I felt like that means we do get that next film in the 90s. They are going to be very much those cartoon characters. You know, that cartoon look, mm-hmm. you know, with the, the costumes we really recognize and that kind of thing. Oh, because please, we're in... please no, no yellow and blue spandex, though. Yeah, yeah. Please don't you do that. Let the blue and yellow spandex go. Um, but yeah, I think <laughs> I, I thought that was really fun. So it's, you know, for me, all in all, I, I have to say this is, I was disappointed that the critical reception for the movie, but really all it mattered is whether I liked it. So I'm wondering for you. Um, how would you, how do you think you'd rate this one? Maybe, um, out of five Cerebros. Oh, it gets four Cerebros from me. And why do they have to keep blowing up Cerebro? Yeah. (laughs) Poor Cerebro. (laughs) It's like Deanna, Deanna's driving Cerebro. 
because she always crashes the Enterprise. She's crashing Cerebro. Yes, yes, yes. Well, and they they like to destroy the house um, or parts yes. of the house. <laughs> they like to do that. Um, and I do have to say, I'm not sure that I ever want to hear about destruction in a movie again, a comic book movie, with the level of destruction that was laid waste on the earth in this film. But that's true to X-Men form. In yeah. the comics, cartoons, that, that is true to form. Blow it all up, build it back up. Yeah. And no, I, I mean, I don't have a problem with it because I feel like it's a very comic book. You know, like mm -hmm. lots of destruction and that kind of stuff. It just, it feels very comic booky. And the fact that we blow a bunch of stuff to Kingdom Come and then in the end we, everybody goes their separate ways and we're all hunky-dory like, that's just kind of... After using their powers to rebuild the house. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, hopefully they help rebuild the rest of the world, too. So... Yeah. That yeah. would be nice. Um, <laughs> but, um, goodness, I, I think... I think for me, this is probably 3.75 Cerebros out of 5. And I, I do. I really like this movie. I had a ton of fun watching it. I, I saw it twice this weekend, and even the second time, I really had a good time. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, the fact that, like I said, it gave me so much to think about and talk about, to me, that's that's all you could ask for in a movie. And um, oh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I like these characters. I cannot wait to see more of the X-Men. I, I genuinely love the characters that they've created. I like that... Um, you know, this movie had a, a really wonderful focus. You know, we've never had a movie have such a focus on the Mystique character and have her drive it. In fact, I even read that they um, they thought about having Wolverine come in in the middle of the film and train the kids, but they felt oh, like no. that took away from the Mystique character and the arc that they were giving mm -hmm. her. And so... For them to say no to the Wolverine and yes to the Mystique, I thought meant a lot. Could be that just they want more Jennifer Lawrence. So <laughs> could be, but it was what we saw of Weapon X was just enough. Oh, it was just enough to just make you excited. Yes, yes. Okay, so we will side note here. What did you think about how they they did that and kind of just. It was. It was very understated. I thought it was great. I, as soon as they came across the cage and he started growling, I was like, oh, oh, I know who it is. I know who it is. It's Weapon X. I just couldn't contain my excitement. It's great. It was, it was great to see that, you know, history kind of mirroring itself with the original mm -hmm. films. And yet it's different, you know. Uh, he's met them yeah. at a much younger point in their lives. You know, and so this is something they really get to play with, I think, in the movies is will it all end up the way that Logan woke up in Days of Future Past? Gosh, I hope not, because then he's like creepy with Gene. Yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> that was interesting. But so that's an interesting question. You know, you, you get that do how now that you've changed time, does it? Is everything going to be different? Will it be somewhat the same? You know, they have so much they can do. So I think they've really set themselves up. And I just can't wait uh, to see more X-Men, especially as we hit the 90s. So, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's hope there's lots of, like, sync uh, and, and uh, you know, Backstreet Boys songs Backstreet in Boys, there. New that, Kids on the Block. Yeah, there you go. That's... that. that Either New Kids at the Block or or some kind of NSYNC song is what Quicksilver needs to be listening to <laughs> next time. Can't you just hear it? Ace of Bass. Ace of Bass. Yes. I saw the sun. Anyway, the sun. okay. I, I, I could keep <laughs> singing, but the associate producers here through Patreon do not want that to happen. I love Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson for helping us bring the show to every one of you each and every week, and we can't do it without them. See, Patreon is the way in which people can support the Trek FM network to keep coming to you each and every week. So visit patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can make sure all of this content comes to you each and every week through the network. We've got over 20 different shows. We've got special feeds here on the network. We're doing so much with the 50th anniversary of Star Trek and so much more. 
and we really need your help. One of the great things about doing it this way is that it means that it keeps it ad-free and content-based. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can be part of the team. Now, Suzanne, this has been a lot of fun. I've loved talking X-Men this week, and I'm thinking that next year we're going to have to do a huge X-Men retrospective, and I know who oh. to have on for the Wolverine <laughs> Origins episode. <laughs> but uh, <Yes>. yeah, <laughs> let everybody know where they could find you online. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, and my handle is at kjaneway 8 and that's the number eight. Well, I take it that means that you like Janeway? Uh, just a little bit. She's my captain. Aw. I heart Janeway. <laughs> Everyone should. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we know Chakotay does, so. Oh, Chakotay. Oh, goodness. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, before we go down that rabbit hole, uh, everybody can find me on Twitter <laughs> at MadRushingShow2. <laughs> Uh, and you can find me on the orb here on the network with Chris Jones talking about Deep Space Nine. I'm also doing literary treks with Dan where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. We also interview the authors, so check that out. In fact, uh, one of our favorite authors that visited the show, Kirsten Beyer, has actually just joined the writing staff for the new Star Trek show. If you want to hear Yay. her shows, you can check all of those out online there at uh, Literary Treks. Uh, wonderful episode. She's fantastic. She's a great writer. She knows how to write amazing characters, especially, I would say, characters who maybe weren't as good as they could have been in their shows, but she makes them like 20 times better with her books. So she's going to oh, be fantastic. Yeah. Congrats, a big congratulations to her. And um, yeah, you can also find me on my uh, own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. And then I do a small show. Uh, not so small. It's a great show. It's called Aggressive Negotiations with my friend John Mills, where we talk all about Star Wars every week. We just pick a fun new topic and talk about it. And, and the, it could be silly. It could be really serious. You never know what you're going to get. So check it all out at thenerdparty.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? hear?